Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Derek Dyson to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dender and shortly as my usual co-host Michael Edgley takes a week on the bench. Now often it's a challenge to pick the lead story with the sheer volume of football stories coming in from around the world around the clock but with the Women's World Cup only 45 days away as we record, Ange Postacoglu breaking records with Celtic and seemingly on the brink of becoming the first Australian manager in the Premier League, not to mention the Champions League final this weekend. This week it's about as tricky as it gets but when David slays Goliath in the domestic A-League Grand Final there is only one place to start and that is of course the Central Coast Mariners schooling the Premiers in the Championship decider. Of course, we all know the controversy around the decision to play the grand final in Sydney. That discussion will continue. But on the night, the smallest club and no less than a community club had to turn up and take on their might and their resources in the domestic representative of one of the world's largest football organisations. Not only did they turn up, they slayed the Giants. So to talk about it and what the result means for the local community specifically and the competition more broadly, a man who's been with us since the beginning of this show, nearly 400 episodes ago, no less than the diehard Mariner himself, former Chief Football Writer of the Australian. He is in retirement now, so we'll ask you to bear with us. The line quality might not be outstanding, but the quality of our good mate, Ray Gatt certainly will be. Then going from one extreme to the other with another foundation contributor to the show, the Athletics' Rob Tanner. We were fortunate to find Robert the Leicester Mercury back in 2015 when the improbable story of the Foxes was unfolding. And over the years since, we've charted their ups and downs with Rob. Well, it doesn't get more down than relegation in the past week. We hope to follow their return to the top flight from the ground up with our mate and How did it get to this? What do they need to return to football's elite? We'll talk about that all with Rob during the show this weekend. We will wrap it up with World Cup Corner. Now, Derek, um, absolutely bumper week. Um, The the A-League Grand Final, yeah, it's uh, not something that many uh, football competitions around the world, if any, really have um, as the the sort of the crescendo of of the competition. But it is what it is in this country and... um, and what a ripping uh, outcome for the Mariners it was. Yeah, I'm glad that there was a big shock in one of the finals over the weekend. Obviously, we had the FA Cup final, and when <clears throat> Gundogan knocked in a goal after 12 seconds, the uh, writing really was on the wall. But this game really just obviously leapt off the page, and I know that there was <clears throat> frantic activity in our WhatsApp group trying to work out whether it was actually a real sore and did it actually happen. So mm-hmm. fair play to the uh, Central Coast Mariners. Um, in, in my int- indoctrination to Europe, to uh, the great game here in Australia, I thought there was a bit of a joke. You know, they had Usain Bolt. There was all sorts of other antics around the club, but they're a proper team now, aren't they? And they've, they've, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about how Melbourne City leaves left Willem a bit cold. I think it was last week. Well, but also seemingly this unbeatable machine in Australia. Well, just goes to show that 
the little guy can upset the apple cart occasionally, Rob. Yeah, they can, and they. I mean, they did get a bit of a leg up, and um, and well, I'm sure you're going to go through it in a moment. The fact that uh, the the grand final was played in Sydney, we all know the controversy, as I mentioned earlier, around that and how it came about, but. Uh, you know, it's pretty hard to argue Willem against a 6-1 result. No, they uh, they most certainly are uh, the champions in every sense of the word. Rob, and it was a Jason Cummings hat-trick which led the dismantling. Cummings, second chance. 1-0 Central Coast Mariners in the 20th minute. He might be about to leave for India and become the Cundog millionaire, but he's got unfinished business with the Mariners first. Nice bit of commentary there from Simon Hill. The win comes a decade after their maiden championship in 2013. For City, it's a third grand final loss in four years. The match drew 26,000 fans to Parramatta, not a sellout by any stretch. As for the Festival of Football, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald's Emma Kemp wrote it was a well-organised, seamlessly run event held in the wrong place at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Uh, on field though, Rob, the, the quality and the storylines certainly there. Uh, a fitting farewell for Cummings. He's almost certainly heading off to India uh, and a nice reward for, for Danny Vukovic who bookends his career uh, having started at the Mariners and yeah, having a, a day to forget even though we remember it all these years on uh, in the 2008 Grand Final to, to see him now an A-League champion with the club uh, where it all started for him is a, a nice result uh, most certainly. Yeah, um, well, it's for the Mariners. It's it's one of the stories that uh, um, that the A League really needs um, to to start to set its own narrative again. Um, obviously, the Australian Professional Leagues uh, are, are trying to do what they can to make uh, the the competition work from a, an economic point of view by by um, making decisions uh, like the one they did uh, to to sell the grand final to to destination New South Wales, and inevitably, you know, outcomes are going to occur where where um, the disparity is is writ large. I mean, they, they did get lucky um, this um, this year with the Mariners being only up the road from uh, from Sydney and, and being able to bring 20,000 people down. But on the flip side, um, the fact that the Melbourne City fans were... Uh, you know, uh, probably sitting there in the grandstands in the in the, the pretty small numbers that they were there, uh, and and when thinking what might have happened at um, at two one at half time, um, if uh, if they were playing at Amy Park, yep, the uh, the momentum shifted, the pendulum um, was never going to swing back after it. Uh, it swung as uh, as dramatically as it did in favour of the Mariners. Uh, uh, could the result have been different? Well, I don't think it would have been six-one. That's for sure. Um, uh, and um, and I, I think if you're a city fan right now, then you know maybe the league's lucky that it wasn't victory or Adelaide United who um, who were on the the end of a similar thumping because the noise would have been a lot more prolific. Um, there's just not that many Melbourne City fans to to complain about it, is there? Well. Well, the Mariners haven't won at Amy Park in over 10 years, so it most certainly wouldn't have been a factor. Uh, uh, the the scoreline in the end hurts City. They weren't that bad. They were in this game for a long stretch at 2-1 down and, and playing as the you know the, the trailing team, but they were on the front foot for large periods. They lost their key man, Valen Barisha. He was exceptional in the, the second semifinal, uh, or the second leg of the semi against Sydney FC, and uh, yeah, taken out by Vukovic early. So they really did lack him uh, as the game went on, even though his replacement did did come on and score. We'll go through the uh, the, the sort of minutiae of the match. I, in uh, later in the week uh, on stoppage time, uh, but yeah, the uh, the quality of the storylines and the quality of the goals, I think, uh, did the league justice. Whether a few of those big picture decisions around it did the uh, did the match justice, I'm uh, I'm not sure at all. Big congrats as well before we move on from the uh, from the A leagues as they call it to to Craig Goodwin and Alex Chidiak, Johnny Warren and Julie Dolan medalists this season. Goodwin with an all time season that'll never be forgotten. What he's managed to do with club and country this campaign, and for Chidiak, who I can't believe is still only 24, uh, mm. she's revived 
loved her career and she's got a big winter ahead, uh, you'd suspect, with the Matildas. So a hearty congratulations to both. The BBC and The Age, among other sources, are reporting Ange Postacoglu's move to Tottenham is imminent. Ange wouldn't entertain speculation as his Celtic side completed their eighth treble uh, in history on Saturday. 3-1 winners over Inverness, Caledonian Thistle in the Scottish Cup final. As we record, uh, Fabrizio Romano, Derek, who is a, a heavy hitter in the transfer space, has tweeted a two-year deal with an option to extend has been agreed. Uh, it's now just to uh, to reach consensus with Celtic. Yeah, it's progressed really quickly, hasn't it? Quicker than I thought it would. Usually these things are a saga and they take all, all summer to, to sort out, but it seems that despite all of the coyness of Ange, that this move to Tottenham really attracts him. And why not, I suppose? You know, because, you know, this is the so-called best league in the world. Um, Probably not going to have um, a new manager at any of the other so-called big teams uh, anytime soon. Um, And Tottenham... You know, it's potentially a project that Ange can can get behind. He's, he's a bit of an underdog story, a, you know, it's just a tale of underperformance. And, of course, he took over Celtic when they were, what was it, 21 points behind Rangers in the in the league and, and obviously managed to do that. Obviously, the challenge here is very, very different. He's You know, there are no easy games in the Premier League. He's obviously got the potential problem of, uh, Harry Kane leaving and players kind of at the in the autumn of their of their um, their careers. Um, there's rumours that he'll bring Furuhashi and other players down from Scotland. I don't know whether whether if they're good in Scotland, whether they'll be you know top of the Premier League grade. He certainly won't have in, um, European football to worry about for the first season. That could be seen as a good thing, as he doesn't have a fixture congestion issue to deal with but this has been a graveyard for a lot of good managers guys and I'm trying to be as balanced as possible here as an Arsenal fan but um, you know some fine managers have gone to Tottenham and it hasn't worked out for them I just wonder Rob if you think that there's something different about Ange that could be the difference maker for Spurs this time around. Yeah, well, that's what we're about to find out, isn't it? I mean, um, the uh, um, the fact that uh, he he may well be without Harry Kane. It seems that Real Madrid with Karim Benzema going to Saudi Arabia are all over him. Uh, Hugo Lloris, again, you say he's in the autumn of his career, and he is. Uh, he's making the sort of noises that suggest that he's going to be moving on. But um, what uh, I, I guess the the the, the, the storylines over Ange's career that we look forward to, to, to make comparisons to at, at the highest possible level are uh, getting an Australian team to to perform above its level uh, to to qualify for a World Cup um, is 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 probably the the, the nearest storyline we can. I mean, as uh, um, as you are one of many to refer to the Scottish Premiership as a farmers' league, but um, it, it is still the uh, the um, the type of competition that, that gets noticed and, and whilst Celtic and Rangers might be the only two um, genuinely competitive clubs in that comp, uh, you, you still got to go ahead and win it. And there's uh, the, the, the pressure of, of, of coming into a club like Celtic when they were as low as they were and turning it around and, and getting that, um, that record-breaking treble that, that they ultimately achieved. So, uh, you know, Jose Mourinho couldn't do it and Antonio Conte couldn't do it. Um, uh, but they came in with legacies already 
ready-made. Um, Ange Postacoglu is looking to, to create one. So, uh, look, uh, who was Arsene Wenger before he became Arsene Wenger? I guess that's the question. Um, maybe we're about to see the, the rise of, uh, of another club uh, manager um, of, of that kind of stature that, that emerged out of, of effectively nowhere. Yeah, Derek, you're right to point out that there are no easy games in the Premier League, but I think reflection of the Scottish League and its quality aside, as I've said many times, he's a whole of club manager and he's turned that joint around from broken to uh, to tip-top shape. So how exciting. Whether he gets there or not, whether it's another club, what a journey this guy's taken us on as Australian football fans and uh, long may it continue. I think he's ready and he's never going to die. Uh, never going to die wondering, as we know. We'll roll on to Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. A reminder that the 2024 Men's Asian Cup is just over six months away. And if you want to be there, now is definitely the time to register your interest. Head to gjtravel.com.au. And the Socceroos are in action next week, the 15th of June. That's a Thursday night at 10 p.m. Australian Eastern Time. And Arnie, I'm sure Rob's had a big cheesy grin on his face this week. He secured the services of Alessandro Circati, a 19-year-old centre-back at Parma, who's eligible to play for Italy. But Arnie's been on his case for a long time. Uh, and this week, he's given the uh, the ticket approval that he will be a socceroo. In Oliver's news, the Maurice Reveo Trophy, or tournament rather, is upon us in France. Uh, this is normally an under-23 tournament. It's being held to help countries in their prep for 2024 Olympic qualifying. Tony Vidmar is the uh, the cockroach. We're going to play Qatar. Uh, we're going to play Mediterranean Select, which is uh, made up of youngsters from four nations in the region uh, and Mexico to start. Exciting times. Both the qual boys are in. Jacob Farrell and Nectar Triantas are heading there following the A-League granny. And Cameron Perpion is also in after his recent Premier League debut, Rob. So the uh, the Vidmar brothers continue to, uh, to give... Uh, to Australian football in spades. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're um, they're legends in their own right, and um, and that's the sort of um, opportunity we need to see young guys getting if they're if they're going to continue to to become part of that um, uh, success of uh, of the national side in in years to come. As we uh, as we call it, the depth um, is critical, obviously, to uh, to performance at the top level. And to close on the Matildas front, just wanted to acknowledge the passing of Elaine Watson, OAM, a pioneer of women's football administration in Australia. She was the foundation president of the Queensland Women's Football Association in 1975. She was team manager of the first Australian women's team that attended uh, the 1978 uh, World Invitational in Taiwan. Uh, just a couple of, of many groundbreaking efforts, which are nicely detailed by Football Australia in their post. Uh, she was the Watson was the first person awarded life membership of the Australian Women's Soccer Federation, and she's been thanked by Football Australia for her many years of selfless service and remembered as a true matriarch of Australia. And women's football. Yeah, well said, Willem. And in a year uh, where we're uh, a little over a month out from the Women's World Cup, um, it uh, it's a um, a well remembered legacy that um, that you give tribute to, mate. So, well said. Okay, we'll stick around after the break. Um, speaking of legacies, one was uh, built upon over the weekend: the Mariners uh, winning the grand final, and uh, our good mate Ray Gatt. He's in retirement now, enjoying life up on the Central Coast, and we know he goes out to Gosford Stadium. I know for a fact that he headed down to Parramatta to watch that grand final with hope in his heart and uh, he left with uh, the joy of victory um, and uh, whilst we, we don't have the uh, the perfect line to set up Gaddy with, we know that uh, uh, we'll listen carefully to his words and, and enjoy uh, the joy that will come out of the great man as uh, we reflect on the win of the Mariners against Melbourne City in the grand final on Saturday night. That is next on Box to Box. Hey, hey, Willem, it's time to talk Chemist Warehouse. Fragrances this week, I believe, Rob. 
Exactly, mate. Get your favourite scents for less at Chemist Warehouse. We did talk about some of these last week. The Hugo Boss Orange, 50 mils eau de toilette for $29.99. The Ariana Grande Cloud, 30 mils eau de parfum, $39.99. And I think that you'd go really well with this. The new and exclusive Guy Sebastian Embrace for 125 mils eau de parfum, $49.99. That's affordable, and I'm sure you know the great guy. He's a style master. Yeah, it's and it's Smells half as good as he sounds, and Ariana as well will be in business, Rob. Exactly. And Derek, uh, last week you told us you'd visited Mont Blanc, um, and uh, you, uh, I'd imagine by now, you've dropped into Chemist Warehouse to buy some of that Mont Blanc Legend 100 mils for $59.99. Yeah, I absolutely have, Rob, and uh, it's been very good at keeping the mosquitoes at bay as I walk around the house. Yes, I'm sure it'll do more than that. It'll, if you were a single man, it'd attract some beautiful women as well. But you're mm. a very happily married man right now, so you don't need that to to, uh, to do that very job. If you also want to look for a different fragrance, you might try the Jimmy Chew Urban here, 100 mils for 79.99. The Victor and Rolf Spice Bomb, 50 mils, 89.99. And Chemist Warehouse, the great savings, Willem, they are? Every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, as I said off the top, when we started this show back in 2015, one of our very first guests 400-odd episodes ago was Ray Gatt from then, the Australian former chief football writer of the Australian, appeared with us many times, talked about lots of things in football, in club land, across the A-League, men's and women's and our international representatives. But in recent years, he's started to ease himself into a little retirement with lots of comments getting out there on Twitter still. But one thing that doesn't leave our good friend Ray Gat is his passion for the Central Coast Mariners. And he was there on Saturday night at uh, Parramatta Stadium to watch them lift the championship ground. And Gatty, have you come down from what must have just been an incredible high yet, mate? Just now, I'm starting to get down, uh, getting back down to reality. It's, uh, look, it was a great night, an absolutely wonderful night. And, um, you know, a great occasion for Australian soccer, to be honest, after all the, all the dramas we've had and all the criticism of the APL, something went right for them at last. And, uh, the Mariners delivered for them. Yeah, they absolutely did, Gaddy. And, I mean, look, out of the blocks all those years ago, uh, the Mariners were one of the the, uh, the the most competitive clubs in the competition. Uh, it all looked like it was coming together for the, for the small club against the, uh, the the bigger, well, then bigger clubs of the competition. But it, it fell away over the years. We, we all know the stories of the hard times and uh, uh, the challenges and, uh, and, and whilst... It's easy to criticise the, you know, the probably the the, the lowest uh, moments of, you know, who would have thought Usain Bolt would be involved in the lowest moments, but uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 club was attempting to do something to to reboot itself, but uh, uh, Alan Stajic uh, was the uh, the first coach to, to, to start the club back on this journey, uh, picked up by Nick Montgomery and. As he said on Saturday, this is this is a family club. Uh, it's a community club, and um, and I think one of the great quotes was when you got players like Harry Steele and Jacob Farrell ten years ago, they were in the stand cheering us on, and today they're on the pitch in the grand final. That that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, you summed it up perfectly, Rob. Look, as as you say, um, the Mariners were one of the um, early successes of of the A League. Uh, they made uh, three grand finals and. 
you know, one, two under Laurie McKenna, but probably a little unfortunate to lose both. And then uh, Graham Arnold came along. They lost one under him, but then they um, then they uh, won their very first one under him. And um, you know, times times were good. The crowds were fantastic. And then, as you say, um, things started to go haywire. The club fell into disarray. Uh, what, what was it? I think it was three out of five wooden spoons, including two in a row. There's talk of disbanding the club. There's talk of moving them to North Sydney Oval or moving them to to Canberra and to Canberra and um, you know it was really dire times there and then um, things started to change a little bit as you say Alan Stadich came along and he started the revolution and uh, Nick, Nick Montgomery has, has carried on unbelievably well with the club and uh, look where they are now um, what was 26,000 at the grand final on Saturday night and you know 25,500 of them were, 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 were Mariners fans so um, you know the club's Come a long way in the last three or four seasons, and uh, and it's good to see. And fingers crossed, it can continue on in the future. And Gaddy, for for our listeners around Australia and even around the world, we know we count many listeners uh, who tune in to the to the podcast uh, from from countries uh, across the globe. Uh, you and I are boys from the western suburbs of Sydney. I mean, it, it's rugby league heartland where the school that we went to and grew up in but uh, there was always uh, a, a, a heartbeat a strong heartbeat of, of football in, in that community and uh, um, you live on the central coast now and and my family uh, spent our summer holidays on the Central Coast, uh, whether it was the entrance, Terrigal, Bado Bay, Booker Bay, Berkeley Vale, you name it. I mean, anyone who is familiar with the Central Coast will know all of those suburbs. And and uh, it's, it's a beautiful part of the world, but it's a part of the world that uh, that's morphed into um, a, a, a community um, that, um, that punches above its weight in its own right, but, uh, uh, you know, it hasn't had a lot to be proud of on the sporting field in recent years. And there's no other... Uh, club uh, that represents the Central Coast in, in any national sporting competition. So when the, the depths were being plumbed and uh, and the club was uh, uh, was you know being dragged along the, the, the bottom end of the ladder, um, it it, uh, it was easy to switch off. But tell us what it means for the local community now to have a, a club that's that's proudly representing the area with local um, local boys in the team and, um, and and winning trophies. Yeah, well, as you hit on, Rob, um, it's a community club, and it's this is a the Central Coast is a young community. So many families, kids around. Um, you see, I've seen it at the the Marin, a lot of the Mariners game, even with, you know when they were going good, and then when they were going bad, there was still a a hardcore of three, four thousand people to go there, and a lot of them were kids, and those those kids need something to follow, and a lot of them have taken the Mariners to, to their heart, and um, you know if you're out there on Saturday night, you just would have seen so many families and so many kids wearing the Mariners jerseys and scarves and stuff, and stuff like that. So you know, and the Mariners have been smart; they've tried to build on that community focus and. Uh, you know, I, I think it's hit the right note. I don't. I don't think there's any other club in the A League that has the same sort of community feel that the Mariners have. And 
I think that's pretty much on point and, and what, what the Mariners are about and it's something that's going to hold them in very good stead for the years to come. Ray, what does it do for the, the history and the culture of the club to witness the full-scale uh, arc of, uh, or full-circle arc, I should say, of, of Danny Vukovic? 2008 grand final ended in disgrace for him when he was a, a young man. He's been away. He's won domestic titles with other clubs. He's won silverware abroad. He's gone to World Cups uh, with the Socceroos. Now he wins it with the, the little club that gave him his chance first up. So how important... Yeah. Our stories like that in establishing clubs and, and history. Look, the Danny, Danny Bukovic story is typical of the, the Mariners, a lot of Mariners stories, to be honest. It's, a, it's a little all about fairy tales, isn't it? Um, yeah, Danny, did, Danny um, certainly had his ups and downs, and to see him celebrate the other night, you could see what it meant to him. You know, the fact he came back to the club was, was absolutely fantastic, and I think he's been a huge influence on the club and um, I think he typifies what the Mariners are about in the community and the community aspect of it all and um, you know hopefully he'll be around a bit longer because he's got a lot of experience and he's got a lot of heart and a lot of soul. We occasionally hear the refrain about the A-League that our league is more valued abroad than it is here. And I think a more recent hero in Brian Kaltak and his story probably represents that. Uh, he's Venuatu's first professional footballer at age 29. 6,000 people watched the match at Freshwater Stadium in Port Vila in his homeland. Prime Minister Kalsakau attended the match. This is a, a fantastic story and one that we as, as a game are, you know, cock a hoop about. We celebrate it. But the average, even, you know, the engaged casual Aussie sports fan probably wouldn't have a clue that it's just gone on. So you've spent your life in, in media and sports media. Um, how do we go about leveraging and disseminating a story like that more widely? Well, yeah, obviously it's up to the, the A-League powers of B to get those stories out, stories out. Unfortunately, the media landscape in Australia, especially the football media landscape, has you know, thinned out badly over the last three or four years. You know, a lot of guys have moved on and haven't been replaced, and the media here don't seem to still haven't grasped the concept of you know Australian soccer and, and the A-League. And... Uh, which is a shame because the Caltech story is one of the one of the best ones you'll 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 ever find, as you pointed out. You know, twenty nine year old from Vanuatu, you know, came here a couple of times and no, no one wanted to give him a chance. And Mariner saw saw something in him and gave him that chance. And look, look what he's done. He's become a national a national hero back home. So uh, it's brilliant. Those stories we've just got to keep pushing and pushing and and pushing. And the Mariners will do that because they're a the sort of club that will give. Players like Brian Cal take a chance, and um, the more chances you give the players like that, the, you know, the more chance you've got of succeeding. And Rob spoke about the heartbeat of the region uh, punching above their weight on a national scale. The next chapter is that this goes international, uh, qualified for the AWF uh, Cup, which is the second tier of Asian competition for next season. And that might actually work in their favour. I mean, that the Champions League is a, a really big beast these days, and it's hard to compete in. But they'd really fancy themselves, I, I assume, to go on and uh, and really challenge in that in that second tier of competition. So, uh, more chapters to come, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. We'll put them in the, in the, into the frame, you know, attracting interest from from overseas. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great opportunity for the club. Um, I think the last time they qualified for Asia was under under Graham Arnold, and they actually made the second stage of the of the Asian Champions League, which was a massive massive feat. But look, you know, the Mariners are a, a club that don't have a huge budget. Um, they certainly fight above their weight. Um, uh, and uh, it'll be a tough one for them, but it'll be a huge learning experience. And the more experience they get in those conditions, the better. But as we saw again, Melbourne City, uh, a giant club with so much um, you know, money behind them, 
Mariners can do anything they want. Ray, before we let you go, I just want to touch on one of the, for me, most uplifting moments of of the entire grand final, uh, and and that was the the trophy lift. I mean, it, it's a seminal moment for clubs whether they win leagues, titles, World Cups, uh, you know, grand finals. When when the team gets together, often it's it's a moment shared with the players and their coaching staff and and yep. the people who within the inner sanctum helped lift. The, the team to the ultimate success, but what we saw on Saturday night was uh, was was a representation of the entire community. And as, as Danny Vukovic lifted the trophy, the, and I'm going to talk about this a little later on in in our stoppage time program. Um, the, the photo included partners, children, fans. And and for me, most um, notably, uh, the, uh, the 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 members of the One Culture Mariners program, the uh, the all inclusive football program for for people uh, with various abilities and disabilities, you know, complete with uh, uh, some fans in wheelchairs. I mean, that that is the culture full circle and large right in front of yeah. your eyes. There, isn't it, mate? How special was it, Rob? That was an unbelievable sight, and um, yep, uh, and to see just everyone included, family, friends, as you, as you say, you know, officials, the whole lot, because that's what the Mariners are about. I particularly like uh, seeing Jake Banks, uh, the guy you mentioned, in the in the wheelchair front and centre. That was absolutely brilliant because the players absolutely adore him, and he's such a huge part of part of the club, and the club's always looking after him and. Um, you know, mm. I think that's a great template for the future for other for other clubs who win the win the championship. You know, there's, it's not just about the players and and, and the officials. You know, the, the families behind the players. You know, they, they sacrifice a lot, and um, the uh, mm. the Mariners understand that. They understand that in a big, big way. And um, you know, I'm sure that's why the league. I think that's. You know the, the community uh, factor. Yeah, exactly. And as anyone who listens to this show knows, uh, um, I have my uh, my little eighteen year old man Alexander uh, lives with cerebral palsy in a wheelchair, and and when he sees things like that, it, um, as I've said in the past, it, uh, it it's it, you know the words are cheap actions are what it's all about, and uh, and when someone like him sees uh, uh, people. Um, Similar to him, represented and um, and taking centre stage, uh, uh, the way that um, that the Mariners showcased um, their their fan base uh, on Saturday night. It's uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, Rob. Hundred percent, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gaddy, um, Yeah, it's beautiful stuff, mate. So. It's- Champions of the A League, mate, six one. Uh, the Mariners. Who would have thought, mate? You never would have picked it against uh, the the, the three time back to back premiers, Melbourne City. Um, their their conversation. Uh, it will be parked for another day, but it's all about the Mariners right now, mate. And uh, you just soak it up and enjoy it, mate. And uh, and you get to to enjoy it for the, the next twelve months, mate. They yeah, they can't take this one away from you. No, absolutely, I will, Rob. You know me. I'll I'll enjoy every single minute of it. As will all Mariners fans. Right. Farewell, mate, and um, until we talk to you again next time. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Yeah, good mate, Ray Gatt, former Chief Football Writer of the Australian. He's a, a legend in, in the Australian journalistic community. He, he's been there for 
the better part of uh, 50 years writing on the game. He still writes on it. He might be retired, but you just have to jump on Twitter to see Gaddy's work uh, on a regular basis. His opinions are as strong as they ever was. The Central Coast Mariners, his club, they've won the championship. They won the grand final, and uh, and uh, he is uh, uh, just absolutely cock-a-hoop as every single Mariners fan out there is. Okay, stick around. Uh, we're going to go from one extreme to the other. Um, Another man who joined us at the beginning of this podcast, Rob Tanner, then of the Leicester Mercury. Uh, sadly, we've seen the club that he uh, charts the fortunes of uh, plumb to relegation. And uh, we were there for the good times um, and we intend to be there during what uh, hopefully will be the, the re-emergence of that club. But uh, it starts now and after the break, we'll talk to Rob Tanner about what it uh, took to get here and what it'll take to get back to the top flight next on Box to Box. Everybody does love Hoyt Spices because everybody that I know at least loves eating and uh, I love cooking and on the weekend I spent some time on a wintry Melbourne afternoon watching uh, the football as the uh, the, the warm-up was happening for the grand final cooking a Middle Eastern lamb stew with Hoyt's Mixed Spices. It is absolutely the, the kind of mixed spice combination you need to cook any Middle Eastern food. Derek, I know you like Middle Eastern food. Yeah, absolutely. And I do love the way that they do lamb, the way they get it to fall off the bone. And of course, getting that spice mix right, Rob, is key to any of those tagines or any of those beautiful uh, foods that you can get from that part of the world. Oh, absolutely. Well, this one is its really simple. You just dice onion, garlic, fry it off in some ghee or clarified butter or some oil, and then you get the lamb, dice lamb in there, and that's when the white spices come in. You get the mixed spice. It's a Middle Eastern mixed spice. You put in a good couple of tablespoons in there, some beans, string beans, cut down to about one inch in length. Fill it up with some boiling water, about two or three tablespoons of tomato paste. Let it boil in your pot for and simmer for about three hours. Serve it over rice with some plain yogurt. Absolutely delicious. Willem, does that sort of thing uh, turn you on? Yeah, and it sounds like it couldn't be easier, Rob. I think I'll be hitting uh, rewind 15 seconds a few times to go through that recipe over the next week, and I'll have a review this time next week. Outstanding. It is absolutely delicious. And remember, refill all your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles Wars and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. So we go from the highs of the Central Coast Mariners winning an unlikely grand final against Melbourne City to the lows of Leicester City, the Foxes. Um, when we started this show back in 2015, uh, we charted the, the rise and rise. It was just gobsmacking as week after week, the Foxes just got closer and closer and eventually won the title. It was incredible. And uh, there was even a book written about it called 5,000 to 1. And the man who wrote that book um, is our good friend who we met at the time, who was then at the Leicester Mercury, but is now with The Athletic. And uh, as we've said a number of times, has introduced us to so many of our guests on this show over the journey. Um, Rob Tanner. And uh, Rob, um, welcome to the show, mate. I, I think yeah, we, we were there for the good times. Uh, it's now time to be there during the tough times. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it doesn't get much tougher than this, for in, certainly in the time I've been covering the club. 
um, 13 seasons. And, and I started when they just got back into the championship from mm-hmm. League One, which yep. was their lowest ever position in their history. So to see that incredible rise over the years has been astonishing. And equally astonishing to see the decline this season um, because, quite simply, nobody saw it coming. Mm. And, and you say nobody saw it coming uh, for good reason because not only did Leicester City win that title, but it wasn't just a one-out. They went on to win the FA Cup final and um, and they should have played in the Champions League uh, on, on at least another two, even three occasions, but for uh, for some late-season um uh, slip-ups um, under the management of, of Brendan Rodgers. Uh, but am I right in saying this all stems back to to uh, financial mismanagement and the inability of the club to bring in fresh players uh, uh, for this season? Because as an observer, um, one thing that, that I did notice um, was that uh, Jamie Vardy, was was bought in late. He, he wasn't starting uh, for for a lot of the season, and uh, and he he was to me um, he encapsulated that Leicester was still playing off past glories when he wasn't able to 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 win them those critical points um, in those last handful of games. Well, I think there's a multitude of of, of issues that have um, combined to lead to this point. Um, COVID was a massive one for Leicester City. Um, it severely damaged the finances of King Power, the uh, the, the parent company. Um, their business is tourism and no industry was hit more than tourism during the pandemic. Um, but that sort of the timing of that really affected them because, as you say, they were challenging top five. Uh, they finished top five two seasons running. Before that, they were ninth and ninth, and then last season eighth. So that's top ten finishes five years running. They were challenging for Europe. They all their goal was always to qualify for Europe because that's where the revenue streams come in. If and you, you're right, I mean, the, the dropping out of those Champion League places two years running did affect them. They're sliding doors moments because if they got into the Champions League, the wealth they would have brought in would have been. Uh, incredible for them. It would have been their blueprint uh, pushing forwards. They dropped out and they're significantly less in the Europa League and the Conference League uh, because the problem was they were spending uh, more on wages, new contracts for those players, spending more on, on transfer fees and their expenditure was rising all the time and COVID blocked their revenue, stopped their revenue from growing. So they got within that 85% of financial fair play, which wasn't so much the issue in the Premier League, but in terms of UEFA, they wanted to qualify for Europe. So I wrote an article about basically, I mean, normally when a side gets relegated, um, fans can blame a lack of ambition from the owners. Quite the opposite is true with Leicester. They, they were over ambitious. Uh, they flew too close to the sun and have come crashing down because they couldn't invest in that squad um, last summer. They couldn't give Brendan Rodgers the refresh of the squad that he required because of their concerns about financial fair play regulations. Ironically, Everton has survived at their expense, who have sailed very close to the wind with financial fair play for a number of years. So there's a train of thought amongst some fans that, you know, why did we bother? Why don't we just go and spend and bring in those players that Brendan said he needed? Um, but again, you've got to look at Brendan's management of the situation as well. I mean, he was saying from very early on uh, in the summer that this was going to be a season of challenge because the club, his squad needed help and the club wasn't the same club that he joined. It was very much a negative mindset. Uh, That seeped into the psyche of the players. But mirrored to that, the players take a lot of blame as well because they they obviously thought they were too good to go down. 
Um, famously, James Madison responded to one of my tweets uh, when I warned of relegation around February time. He said, no, rubbish, analyse the game properly. You know, we play, keep playing like this, we'll be fine. This was after the Southampton defeat. They obviously haven't been fine. It's just um, it's just a multitude of things that have combined now to lead to this. And I think the club is still licking its wounds and, and um, reeling from it, really. And But they've got to regroup quickly because the Championship starts earlier than the Premier League. Ironically, they've organised um, a couple of pre-season games against Tottenham and Liverpool in Singapore and Bangkok uh, for, to promote the Premier League. They're not in the Premier League now, they're in the Championship and their Championship starts the weekend of the 5th of August. So they haven't got a manager at the moment. They've got seven players out of contract who have left the club. Several have said goodbye already. Yuri Tielemans, Charles Siuncu. They've got eight others that are going into the last year of their contracts. Tete's gone back to Shakhtar Donetsk after his loan. So they've got to rebuild a team as well, and they haven't got a manager in place to do it. So there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. A lot of players um, coming out and apologising, Rob. Um, and Didi, I think, was the latest. And I think um, Tielemans may also uh, have done that as well. Um, how's that been received? I mean, the, the player, are the fans actually... Pleased that there's been some acknowledgement from the players that, that this is kind of catastrophic and a bad thing, or is there a feeling that you know you guys could have actually done this right on the pitch? You know, it's a bit too late now to be apologising to us. What's the what's the feeling there? Well, obviously, whenever you issue statements like that on social media, you're going to get a certain response. Uh, not always from Leicester fans as well. Um, mischievous fans of other clubs will jump on as well and. Um, yeah, so they've taken a lot of stick, no question. They've taken a lot of those comments. Uh, I think Madison's, when he came out and, and said everybody should stick together and, and straight away, they, that opened himself up to comments from f- some fans going, stick together, but, but you're going to be leaving. You're going to be staying in the Premier League. We're not. We're in the Championship. So, um, yeah, there, there is a li- still a lot of um, uh, yeah bad feeling towards some of those players because that squad should never have been in the situation they were. Um, they should have had enough uh, quality. What they didn't have, it seemed to, ha- to me, was the, the mentality. A lot of those sides that were down there we, would have been expected to be there. Um, Everton were flirting relegation year after year. Perennial survival specialists. Um, you know, all the other sides that Southampton would have expected to be down there. Certainly Nottingham Forest would have been expected to be down there. Bournemouth knew they were in a relegation battle from the very first day. Um, but they all had enough quality in terms of um, their mentality, the, the fact that they knew they had to dig in and fight, um, and they got themselves out of it, and Leicester didn't. They just sort of, it was, well, the phrase that's been used a lot is sleepwalking, sleepwalked into into a relegation. Well, I think they realised they were in trouble, uh, but they just couldn't stop the slide at, uh, it, towards the end. I mean, before the West Ham uh, game, on the final day of the season, again, they knew they had to win, but hope Everton slipped up at home to Bournemouth. Um, they only won one of 15. And that's just not enough. There was too many opportunities for them to get themselves out of trouble and they didn't take them. And you, so the table never lies. The table never lies after a full season. It's a 10-month slog. And if you're in that bottom three at the end of the day, you can't complain. You, you're, you're going down and, and you deserve to be down. Well, the manager is going to be the person that's going to have to pick whatever remains of this squad, as you said, Rob, back up and reading newspapers over the last 24 hours the name that's emerging is Steven Gerrard feels kind of rather predictable that he's back in the conversation are uh, 
Leicester fans excited by names such as Steven Gerrard? No, it'd, be, it'd take a lot to get them excited at the moment. As I said, they're still reeling. Um, I think this job needs somebody with experience, um, it, it, a stabilising influence on the football club. Otherwise, it could go. Th- you, we've seen it with Sunderland. You could go the other way. Um, you forget the r- wrong uh, person in right now. And, and obviously, Gerard did well at Rangers, but then you know you're expected to do well at, at Rangers. The resources they've got compared to all the other clubs up there, except for Celtic, um, puts them way ahead. Uh, then he came to Villa and it was a bit of a, a car crash in, in terms of, well, you've seen Emery comes in and, and fixes it. How can a side be transformed like that? So there must have been something fundamentally wrong. So that wouldn't be an appointment that excites me and I think it'd be the wrong appointment. And Rob, I, I have to ask this question because we do have a few Forest uh, fans uh, listening out there. Does it add insult to injury for for Leicester fans that that Forest, um, with with their shocking away record, somehow managed to to get it together and, and stay up? Well, not just Forest. I think if you looked at that um, that relegation battle, there were so many sides that really could have gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, they managed to pull it together at the end. Um, and that's that's what that's why it's so frustrating for Le- for Leicester fans because it wasn't ex- as if there was like a number of sides that suddenly hit a run of form towards the end. You know, one more win would have done it. It, it, it was there were so many sides that could have got relegated and, and wouldn't have had any complaints about it. And Forest were one of them because they were so bad for a large part of their season. They stuck with their manager though, and they managed to get that that bounce just at the end when they needed it to get themselves over the line. Likewise, Bournemouth were terrible for parts of the season. It wasn't exactly a quality-driven relegation battle where, you know, sides were, were picking up points and then bouncing it back to the other side going, you know, yeah, you, you follow that, let's pick up, uh, you, and they pick up a win as well. It wasn't that quality in there. That, there was a number of clubs that could have gone through the trap door. Unfortunately, it was Leicester because they just could not get that one result that they needed through a number of opportunities. Okay, so... Um... Leicester City are going to start the next season in the championship. Um, the uh, the owner, uh, after um, the passing of his father, Srivadana Prabha, um, as you, you wrote in, in that article you referenced earlier on, um, he's an ambitious guy. Um, they'll be the uh, the team in the championship that's got the biggest uh, budget of the lot. Um, but you wrote it is vital Leicester return to the top division at the first time of asking. Uh, so... Um, likelihood of that happening this far out impossible to predict um the championship is tough uh, do you do you really need to reframe the squad as a championship squad uh and 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 sign players who are championship players to return or uh, do you do you um frame the uh the the potential uh, to return to the premier league uh with a with a team that that is ready made should they get there well, there's going to have to be a massive amount of change. They've got to reduce the wage bill. It was the seventh highest wage bill the club operates with in the Premier League. So um, they can't go down into the championship at that level of cost. So normally when a club gets relegated, there's a lot of cuts around the club in certain departments. My understanding is that they will try and protect uh, the other employees at the football club, all the cuts are going to come in the football department. So there's going to be a lot of natural wastage with those seven players leaving all on good money. Uh, they're going to sell James Madison, Harvey Barnes. They're two big assets. Um, wait to see what happens with Jamie Vardy. He's got another year left on his contract. My gut feeling is that he'll want to stay and get them back. He won't want to finish 
with the the club in the championship where they were when he joined. He wants to get them back so he could uh, uh, stay on, but he is the highest earner at the club on £120,000 plus um, a week. So they're going to have to carry his wages if, if, the, if they're going to do that. But they do need to make a lot of cuts and rebuild that team. So the likes of Harry Suter will certainly be there, um, I, I believe, next season. Victor Christensen, Luke Thomas, Kian and Dewsbury Hall. Hamza Chowdhury's come back from his loan at Watford. He's got a year left in his contract. So he uh, could have a role to play in the championship. He's, he knows the division. There's not many players in that squad that know this division. Uh, Hamza does, Kiernan does, because they've had loans elsewhere. Those sort of players will be the key to getting back up. All right, Rob. Well, we'll uh, watch this with interest. And um, I know you've already written the extra chapter um, to uh, to your great book. Um, perhaps there's a sequel to come, mate, The Rise Off the Canvas. Um, we'll, uh, we'll be fascinated by the way that it plays out but it just feels like given the you know the the the, the fairy tale roller coaster circus whatever you want to call it that has been the Leicester City right over the past decade and a half uh, there still feels like there's a couple of chapters yet to be written mate so um I reckon you're always gonna be something going on at Leicester City there'll, there'll <laughs> always be a story there somewhere mate if you're not finding king in a car park or winning a Premier League mate yeah there's 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 always action happening in Leicester mate hey Rob thanks again mate it's always great um we'll can Keep talking, mate. Uh, as as we chart the journey, um, whether it's uh, it's, it's watching Lister or, or any other football stuff that um, that we'll have you Andy about, mate. You stay well. Cheers, thank you, Rob Tanner from the Athletic. Okay, that's uh, the focuses for the time being. We'll keep uh, abreast of that story as it plays out. But next, we're going to talk forty five days out from the Women's World Cup. It's World Cup stoppage time. Next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. Great chat there with our good mate Rob Tanner. He, he's just, uh, for me, uh, one of the most engaging uh, speakers on football. Um, if there's um, anyone who knows his subject matter, uh, it's it's Rob. He um, he really did explain that um, that uh, decade and a half nearly of, of Leicester. So you know it'll be great to keep talking to him as um, as the you know the. Uh, the story plays out and continues in the next season. Um, but it is time to talk World Cup, a corner, women's style, uh, a little over a month left uh, before the tournament kicks off. And we're starting to tick some boxes now, aren't we, Willem, um, with uh, the final pieces of the puzzle being put into place around the, the picture of the tournament. And the host broadcaster in Australia is the Seven Network. So we had the, um, the, uh, the broadcast team announced um, in the past week. Yeah, and if the Paramount Plus debacles taught us anything, it's that the action on the pitch is as important as the, uh, well, the broadcast is as important in delivering the product as the action on the pitch at times. Uh, and Channel 7 have a bit of a funny checkered history uh, with our game in Australia. But moving forward, turning a new page, they've got the uh, the, the highly sought-after Women's World Cup rights. And as you say, uh, we now know who's going to be fronting the coverage. And I think it looks pretty good, Rob. Mel McLaughlin and Bruce McAvaney to lead it. Uh, Mel has, over the years, earned a great deal of respect in the football public for her coverage of the game. And Bruce, I think it's fair to say, has a great deal of respect for covering pretty much everything else. Uh Adam Peacock, David Bashir, we know very well. Matildas, uh, Elise Calland-Knight, Heather Garriock, Grace Gill, uh, and then Emma Friedman as well will be on special comments. Uh, I think that looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. I think if there's one person who uh, in Australia um, you would want to head up uh, an event to, to give it that prestige 
um, it's Bruce McAvaney. There's if if Bruce takes on something, he does it well. Uh, we know that Bruce will have committed to memory just about every stat there is from not only Australia but every single country that that performs that, that turns up to to play in the competition. Um, Insofar as uh, as the the female representation, clearly, obviously critical. Mel McLaughlin again, one of the best presenters in the country. Insofar as sport in general, uh, uh, Elise Keller Knight. Um, sadly for her, she's not going to be on the pitch. But uh, you know, she. I read an article was one of the, you know, one of the first things she did when she realised she wasn't playing was to ring a manager to see how she could get involved. Um, Grace Gill is an outstanding uh, commentator. Uh, special comments in her own right, and Heather Garriott, as we know, she's been on our show many times. Uh, uh, 130 caps, uh, 20 goals for the Matildas. Um, she uh, is um, is as good as there is. And then in terms of uh, the other commentators, you know, we, Adam Peacock. He's a he's a passionate and interesting um, speaker on the subject. Emma Friedman. Um, I think Emma's a good broadcaster. Don't know what she knows about football, but we'll find out. Um, so, um, you know, Derek, as far as you're concerned, um, you know, we've discussed this a number of times. Your profession is broadcasting. Um, it, when you when when it comes to showcasing an event like this to a nation of people who are uh, not necessarily um, experts on the game, let alone the women's game, their 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 preferred competition in a lot of cases in this instance is AFL football, they're going to need to be educated about this. I mean, it's a tricky proposition for, for Seven to to, um, to broadcast and present and make sure that they, they keep the viewers engaged. I just think people will gravitate towards this. Um, and, you know, I keep telling people, you know, you don't realise how, how close this is, but once we're in the middle of this thing, it's just going to be all-encompassing. And I think it's a great opportunity for all of that talent on the, um, on the panel there to... It's, yeah, to cultivate uh, a, a name and a reputation for themselves. And, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though, that, you know, I think most Australians have a notional feeling around what soccer is, football is, through kind of historic markers, but they've got less of those for the, the women's game. At the end of the day, it's the same game, it's the same objective, and um, but they're going to have to get the, the, the right balance there you know, you don't want to be teaching people to suck eggs, but there are going to be new uh, audiences coming to watch this. But I'm just excited to see how it'll all come together. And I think one thing that we know from Australian audiences is that when these big tournaments come around, they do deliver with their eyeballs. And the fact that um, Channel 7 has taken it on just shows that they think it's going to be a great punt too because they're not in the game for low viewing figures. So that they're obviously pretty confident that they're going to get some good viewing figures, Rob. And of course, uh, that's the free-to-air coverage that we're talking about. So, uh, Optusport will uh, will cover all of the, uh, the every single game um, in, throughout the tournament as well. So, um, most, uh, well, if not all, football fans who have Optusport as it is, will be able to watch all the games that aren't uh, on the Seven Network. So, um, Willem, your thoughts um, to to sort of wrap this uh, particular point up? You're a, a you know a rising sort of uh, person in the in the world of sports media, you um, you know you, you, you don't just watch anything just for the sake of watching it. Um, it, it seems like a pretty good um, a pretty good group of uh, experts to, to to set up this um, this coverage. 
Yeah, as I said off the top, I think it's got the the, the credibility from a broadcast perspective with Mel and Bruce. It's got the credibility from a, an on-field perspective with Elise and, and Heather. And I think Grace is fantastic. We've had her on the show a number of times and um, she she gives an opinion. She's insightful. Uh, I think she, and Daniel McMurray's not involved here, but I think those two, as, as sort of younger special comments people out of our domestic football leagues as players into broadcasters, uh, are two of the very best coming through. So no, I think it's really good. Just a call to action to close. We've spoken a lot about tickets over the past couple of months. Uh, it's good news so Tuesday June the 6th which is most likely today or or yesterday as you listen uh, FIFA released more tickets for all matches uh, having reviewed their inventory so an extra 250,000 which seems large but I did double and triple check it 250,000 tickets up for grabs for the tournament Uh, to this point residents from over 150 countries have bought tickets so that in itself, that last little point there shows what a a bonanza and what a celebration of the game this is going to be Rob as you say just uh, over a month ago yeah, absolutely, and um, that's one thing's for sure is that um, if you want to get tickets, um, then um, you want to uh, get your hands on them as soon as you possibly can. Because if uh, if you don't, uh, um, then then as uh, you know, Derek, you were pointing out earlier on, the, the tournament will be on us on, and, uh, and and you'll just miss out. So uh, if you haven't got your tickets, um, if you know if you can't get to an Australian match, or if you don't have an allegiance to to one of the other international teams, and you and you and you, you don't have a particular game you want to get, go to. To, uh, um, get a hold of some of those knockout tickets. I mean, we all know the kind of jeopardy that's involved in a World Cup uh, knockout match. It doesn't matter who's playing; it's going to be an outstanding experience. And the the tickets are very affordable. So, um, you know, we're not here to to be um, to be cheerleaders for for ticket sales for FIFA or for anybody else. We're really here to be cheerleaders for for the event and to encourage people to to get along and to tell their families and friends to to buy tickets while they've still got the chance. So, uh, yep. Uh, tickets coming, more tickets coming on sale. Get hold of them. All right, well, well done. Nice, uh, nice little wrap and a good show there. Um, I'm going to take a break next week, and uh, mate, I'll be tuning in as uh, as I drive back down the, the Hume Highway from Sydney. Uh, looking back to uh, jumping back into the warm chair next week, Rob. We'll uh, we'll speak to you. Well, we'll speak to you later in this week for uh, for stoppage, uh, and then next week you'll be uh, you'll be taking your breather. So looking forward to it. Excellent, Derek. Thank you again, mate. Cheers, gents. And Damo, as always, mate. Thank you for. Putting this show together and to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in as you always do and to uh, make sure you are uh, imploring you to subscribe to Box to Box to Stoppage Time and Offside. Please leave us a lovely review where you can. As all good podcasters say, we've got to be self-promoters here and we've got to get our listeners out there to jump on and give us uh, reviews uh, for uh, for the show so we can we can get uh, the uh, the program out to as many people as possible. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook and join us as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Cup.